Hey, Tim. Hi, Alan. Nice to meet you, my friend here from a distance. Very nice to meet you too. Uh, you'll have to just bear with me one second while I put this on the tripod, and then we can. Thank you for taking the time to connect. Oh, Appreciate and, it and deeply. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, great, great. And just you, you're the pro. You guide me through anything you want me to do or don't do, and I'm pretty attentive to nuance like that. So don't hesitate. Well, thank you for that, and I think uh, I'd like you to be as Alan as you can possibly be. Great, love it. Okay. So the um, this series is really me having conversations with people I want to have conversations with, and then <laughs> public uh, for other people to enjoy, uh, which seems they seem to do. So I thought it'd be good if for anyone who's tuning in on this, and then we can forget all about that, um, just to recap how this came about. And and as I remember it, you or somebody for you, I think. Uh, sent right. me a link for your film, uh, Spiritually Incorrect. <laughs> and uh, I, probably I'm sure, you, like you, you know, I get sent a lot of stuff and I'm sure a lot of it's brilliant, but I, I don't have a chance to look at it. But this one came and I, I'd just been talking with a friend of mine, Richie Watson, and he'd suggested that we should do a podcast called Spiritually Incorrect. And then oh, your wow. film arrived. It was like, aha. <laughs> and, How interesting. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. It was great. Thank you for taking the time to watch that. Not many people yeah. can get through it, but thank you. Yeah, we, 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 my wife and I sat in bed and thoroughly enjoyed it and watched the whole thing. Lovely. And, and what really struck me was that about, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, <clears throat> I played with this idea of what I call being a stand-up philosopher and uh, tried to develop this as, as kind of making philosophy entertainment. And I was looking at you and going, hey, you've really, you've done this. You've actually, uh, you've really made it entertainment. So I was very taken with that. Wow, um, we're sort of brothers in the same philosophical, satirical mold there. That's well, rare to hear. A little bit, I think. Yeah. Very, yeah. very rare. There's yeah. a few of them out there, but not many. Yeah. And uh, so you can see why I resonated with what you're up to. Um, and so it's been, re it's really nice. Oh, it would be lovely to. To actually meet you and hear well you. here we are great yeah yeah that i had no idea that you had that uh philosophical entertainer satirist um i mean i just wrote a book actually just jumping along called extinction x-rated that took spiritually incorrect to uh i don't even know what the comparison would be but it's it's uh, it's called extinction x-rated i wanted to call it spiritually incorrect x-rated but it's the it's the film times a hundred. Okay. It is the most. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> it spares awesome? nothing, Tim. Nothing. <laughs> I, I the whole thing was, if I were to die, what would I not want to go to my grave not having at least had the courage to thought and to write? Now, mind you, it's an autofictional dark satire, so nothing in it's true, but everything in it's real. So. It's spiritually incorrect on steroids, plus some Fantastic. acid, some DMT and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I really resonate with that idea. I, I get it, the older I get, I have it all the time now of, of not, you know, what is it that, that needs to come out that hasn't come out, that, need, that I should get that, out quickly before it's too Yeah, late. That's, a, that's a very interesting self question. Not many people have the courage, I think you would agree, that are willing to ask where we're folded, 
to sound cliched, how do we lie to ourselves? How enamored are we without knowing our double life, our triple life, our quadruple life? Look at the spiritual predators out there. Yep. Look at the posers, the pretenders, the prophets of money, all that stuff. So yeah, it's a very rare question to self-reflect on how can I become more clear and clean and authentic and stop lying to my cult, my sangha, my community, my wife, my husband, myself. I think I think I, I, I I'm you know I'm just in my early 60s now, and I've really noticed late 50s, early 60s, the level of looking back at my life and seeing it kind of it feels like a process of constant humiliation, really. I've just been able to <laughs> see it with completely different eyes, and and that's still going on a pace, and I like it, but it's it's not always easy. It's alarming, isn't it? It is alarming. And, and I <laughs> one of the things I realized actually, you know, just the other day, Alan, I thought, you know, generally, generally, I'm pretty accepting of people and, and, and I really, you know, feel open towards most people. But the one thing that really gets me is what you, what you said. It's like, it's a spiritual pretense. And it really bugs me. I really, I think because it, it, I want it to be other than it is. And uh, so when you've lived in spirituality all your life, like we both have, I mean, maybe be, I often think, you know, maybe if I was a plumber, I'd feel that about plumbing. Plumbing's just, <laughs> oh, just full of fakes and phonies and, and there's, there's, there's so few real plumbers. You know, I'm sure it, maybe it's just the human condition, but I see it in spirituality. Yeah, they don't. We'll see plumbers and carpenters and the like. They, they don't pretend to be moral philosophers and ethical savants and enlightened beings, per se. They're just doing plumbing that's a saving you get, place isn't it yeah you get to the spiritual crowd and they're basically selling things that they don't know a lot of them it's my teacher in upandita he coined the phrase that there's a lot of people in the west i won't say england but in the west <laughs> that uh, they're soap sellers they sell soap but they don't use their product yeah yeah you know I, it is it is a unique thing well you can see it's so i mean the difficulty with it is that if you want to, if you if you if you set yourself up as a doctor, and you really aren't qualified, then sooner or later, hopefully, you'll get exposed because you know you really won't be able to do the job. But I can just claim to be in line, can't I? I can just go, hey, look, I'm, well, I'm, I'm it's special. A, it's a, if you hang around yeah. me long enough, and it's a it's a taboo topic, but it's so front and center today, Tim. I think you would agree. Is what do you really know from direct experience and how do you overrate that? How do you inflate that? And, you know, the commodification of consciousness, the, the selling of mindfulness, the, the, the merchants of mindfulness, all the various ways in which primarily men, but a lot of women in the West have made careers on selling states of mind that they don't little about, especially the enlightenment story. And that, so, that's so a where, treacherous where you, road. Where have you where have you ended up with that? I mean, I, I mean, for for me, you know, if if someone comes to town and they're enlightened, it's like I'm just not interested. That's I, right. Just completely like the last place I'm going to go. If they use the e word, it's just like no. But those you, are the best selling books. I mean, look at the power of now. It's a guide to enlightenment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, a, I think. I, I agree with I you. I, 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 don't, I don't mind the totally word. Taboo. I think it's when it's applied because it's like, you know, it's, it, the word can mean so many things. And, and, and 
and we have right. the, the Western Enlightenment, which always strikes me gets a very poor looking. But there's that so there's that lighting up. But then when it when it's put into a certain tradition in which that person it's it's spiritual authority, it's spiritual authority at all actually. Right. But certainly when it asserts itself. And when it turns into cults, and I, it just feels like it's going in the opposite direction. Yeah, see, having had a long, a moderately long, Tim, background in classical Theravadan South Asian Buddhism. Yeah. You know, frankly, in all sincerity, I, what attracted me to go to Burma and study with my teachers, Mahasi Sayadaw, he was one of the, the founders of the mindfulness movement, and then his successor, Sayadaw Upandita brought them both to America. What, anyway, but the point is, they offered a practical approach to the development of insight that led to, in the Buddhist Pali word, the word enlightenment doesn't mean what it means in English, right. a progressive expansion into yeah. the release from self-generated conflict. Yeah. Oh, it's not a final a state. Way to put it. Yeah. And so, and then if you really look at, you know, those who know well, I'm not one of those individuals, the study of deep scholarly investigation of Buddhist teachings, the word enlightenment in the Buddhist tradition is the absolute absence of anger, greed, fear, and delusion. The absolute absence. That means under any circumstance with your eyes being cut out, your wife being stolen, whatever. Now in the West, it means anything you want it to mean. And when you really look at people's lives, those who use the word and the way in which they live, that gap is so inflated, they're not aware of their cult of the double life until they get carried away with their so-called students and their sexual impropriety. There's uh, a type of unthinkable arrogance like what we see with the Tibetan Sogyal Rinpoche who 37 years of radical predation and financial extortion in the name of crazy wisdom. I was in Naropa Institute founded by the late Tibetan so-called master Chogram Trumpa Rinpoche. And he must have had sex, no offense to those who have a sexual appetite, but close to 3000 people. He had a, a big cocaine habit, a barbiturate habit, two packs of cigarettes a day, all under the guise is my point under this is what's best for your enlightenment so i've taken the wrong path it suddenly sounds much more attractive than i imagined it to be <laughs> well it's until it becomes your wife or your daughter yeah that he's predation he's predating yeah. on yeah and then you go i don't think i want to be a witness to this story and that's what happened in the west enough people go this is not right and, and surely in the east as well though huh you know, I wish that were true. I mean, India. But since India, yeah, East I mean, India, I'm not a, I'm not so familiar with India. I mean, I'm more of the Buddhist country. You know, I mean, I, I respect India. India's been a huge influence on me, but also it just feels like it, it is a land of cults. It's you know, that's it's still in that phase. And and it, they've exported it with their Western yeah. and Eastern and teachers, we, of course. All of those things around the, the the guru and those things, which of course is probably for. I mean, you you mentioned the Tibetans and the Buddhist tradition, but a lot of it's been Indian, hasn't it? And, and, and this, this of, it just felt like our generation didn't find what we were looking for 
around us and then kind of in, I feel like it was very I was very critical of Western religion and then very uncritical to begin with of Eastern religion and just kind of imported right. it wholesale. And, and, and this is where it's coming over the last 10 years, a more so-called integral approach that's more inclusive yeah. of the flesh, of intimacy, of sexuality, yeah. of finances, of intimacy. But don't take away, Alan, I'm speaking to myself here, the fidelity and the power of meditation. Mm -hmm. And I, I learned it, not to get too down that rabbit hole, but I learned it for not only the study of states of consciousness, but the radical transformation of states of consciousness to abide more in reality and therefore freedom. And that was a very interesting kind of cognitive existential surgery to be in these monasteries where they really employ not a retreat, but stay as long as you possibly can stay to achieve for yourself degrees of insight. And it's just not meant for many people. Yeah. You know, and this is where the, the weekend retreat, the, the daily sitting, the 10 day retreat has all been a way to accommodate the Western's need to still be normal and still be a meditator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the closest I've come to that, well, there's a few few times of, of, of I almost became a friar when I was younger. That was my oh, wow. sorte wow. into that world. Um, so I, I want to I I just stop us for a second because of, I, I want to um, ask, I want to take us down a, a road that is kind of the, the theme that I have been hanging this series on. And okay. I'm very interested to hear what you've got to say. Um, which is the place where it's kind of, I wake up every day and this is happening. What the hell is it? Um, you've been studying it through meditation, through your life, through your activism, everything for a lifetime. What is it do you think we're in? What is this, we're ha what is this experience we're having? And what to, should we be doing with it? Well, my humble answer to that is that we're embedded, to state the obvious, both in body and mind and in contexts. Quantum physics has revealed multiple contexts, multiple dimensions. So we're hyperdimensional creatures having a very human experience, to repeat the quote. And we're stuck in the DNA cognitive spiritual dilemma of being born into consciousness. And that consciousness is an ecosystem, primarily this mysterious. We very few of us understand the etymology, the language of emotions. <laughs> and so here we are in context with hyper crises, anywhere from rape to dengue fever to ethnic cleansing. And we're, you know, taking an assault from the outside, taking an assault from the inside. We're helpless by birth, dependent on parents, some good, some bad, some a mixture, and all these invenerating conditions vying for center stage called my identity. Welcome to present time reality and my God. And then you throw in the merchants of propaganda, Tim, the, as Noam Chomsky talked about, the the manufacturing of consent to do things against your own self-interest, propaganda, mind control. I've studied for the last three and a half decades, the psychology of totalitarianism. 
and I've written books about it. And it's just the ongoing onslaught. If you behave in a way that you think is free and it's against the way in which we want you to be controlled, we will persecute or kill you. Totalitarianism, dictatorship, Third Reich, Fourth Reich. And so I bring these up to answer your question. The Buddhists called what we're talking about samsara. And it's fraught with all the dualities of good and bad, right and wrong, heaven and hell. And primarily they're outside and they're inside. And to quote Dostoevsky, to turn it over to you, a very important quote that I've often felt and lived by is that uh, God and the devil, good and bad, right and wrong, are fighting there and the battlefield is the human heart. I think that's what we see is everything in the outer world primarily manifested through the filter of the, the homo sapien is a manifestation of their consciousness. War comes from consciousness. Love comes from consciousness. Shared safety comes from Nelson Mandela challenged apartheid came from consciousness and few understand, not that I do, this mysterious, unthinkable cognitive terrain called human consciousness. So we're having a conscious experience in a body that if you have any heart and courage to look outside of your own bubble, my God, look at the diversity of circumstances at this very moment now. Mm. I mean, my fellow brothers and sisters in Burma are going, undergoing a type of demonic tyranny every minute of the day right now. The horrors of starvation, climate collapse. So we're in a catastrophe. We're participants in that catastrophe. And within it, there are spiritual traditions that offer some salvation. Okay, and that's, I think, where we are today in evolution. We're participating in a radically challenging possibility of evolving the human mind and the cosmos perhaps simultaneously, slow as it may be, to a higher order vibration, to put it in a new Aegean term. Will we win? The odds are really against us. I mean, I was reading in a book here, and again, I promise to turn it over to you by Michio Kaku, the prominent uh, theoretical physicist called The Future of Humanity. And he was talking about the 4 billion seeable planets similar to planet Earth orbiting suns in approximately a similar distance between us and our sun, where it could very well be life on them in some level or another. And he said, that's just in our seeable galaxy, 4 billion possible other spheres with some form of life set aside multidimensionality and quantum physics and he coupled it with at this very moment we talk about being in the sixth mass extinction here on earth five before is probably 50 more after us but right now in our seeable universe a multitude of extinctions going on and you wrap your head around all these perceptions and you go no wonder there's drug addiction <laughs> no wonder there's anxiety and i think that's one of the best kept beautiful secrets is that this kind of existential anxiety, 
is probably our salvation. And it's called wonderment, I think. But it's not wonderment with great joy. It's a terror. And at the same time, what can I do to make it better? And that's the last thing I'd like to say about it. I don't think there's anything more important to me today than self-respect, existential dignity, and empathy for fellow humans and non-humans and nature. So that's sort of my entry into that question. Uh, and what would, what would you say? <laughs> well, uh, I think um, I would say some things which are very similar, for sure. I have a, a lot of the same perceptions. I also think that we're, I mean, I think the, I've been completely capt captivated by this idea that we've had for the last hundred years that the whole universe is evolving. It just seems like, wow, what a narrative that is, that everything in this is, is in this process of becoming on more and more emergent levels. And it's, you know, it's just got us from hydrogen 14 billion years ago to us having a conversation about what the nature of reality is. I mean, that just completely, just sort of wonderment, I just, wow. And within that, it feels like that, that hasn't eased up. And, and, and like you've said, it feels like the, the place where that process is happening mostly now at any speed and it's happening fast is in the psyche which is the latest thing to arrive and the place where all the action is. And if that's moving at such a rate now. Uh, so I, I also feel like there is the, the potential for a shift, um, not because it's a magical date and you know, it's gonna be like, you know, some things gonna happen, but if we make the shift. And, and, I and the reason that I, I stick with spirituality and the reason that I'm, uh, I bother with all that I do is because I think it has a role to play in that, just like you said. I, think, I do think it needs to itself evolve. I, I'm, I'm, I really think it needs a big kick up the backside mm -hmm. to, to come into the shape it needs to now. It needs to come into the 21st century. Um, but the, the essence of it, and it's to do with that thing that happens when you wake up, when you get those moments. So I've kind of, I've been playing with this uh, idea, this description really, of saying, I think what might be happening is that we're evolving, having, having been through this last period, the last, whatever, 150, 200 years, maybe a bit more, where we've individuated, where, where we've gone from being really mass cultured to, to co comparatively, we've individualized and there's individualism has been the thing. And there's been a lot of good things i think in that there's also been some bad but there's been a lot of you know i love it as well and i wonder whether what's happening now is we're we're evolving from individuals into what i call univigils which is an individual conscious of unity with the universe and at the same time as all of those terror horrors and terrors and 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 i i i get that i really do get that when I stand back and look at history, I'm also astonished at how well we've done because it feels only yesterday. You know, my dad was fighting Germans in the Second World War. The whole place went up in flames. I'm an Englishman. I've never been to war. That's unique in history. You know, that's like, wow, how did we pull that off? And the way in which, you know, so many, so many things we placed that 
the psyche on mm. infant mortality illness you know these things come down poverty just down and down and down and down and down and down and down at the same time as other things have been getting worse of course and one of the things which has come that i've kind of feel like i notice and it could be just me wanting to see it but it feels like in my own lifetime there's been a massive expansion of compassion and that that more and more people care about people on the other side of the world whereas in history no one cared about anyone on the other side of the world and hated their neighbors and lived by predating on their neighbors mostly and yet now we, there's a real sense of there are a significant number of people who have a sense of a common humanity a significant that are developing a sense of a common nature and i don't know about you but when i when i started doing stuff with people to to bring about what i call a deep awake kind of state of that connection with communion and oneness and the love um it, most people didn't know the hell i was talking about it was like weird oneness that's weird mm -hmm. now most people at least know what it means many people have had an experience lots of people want an experience mm -hmm. so I, I i feel like that might be happening and and i heard some of that in and i think that's a there's two prongs there's like it's getting worse and it's getting better and they're both that's be optimistic because of this but be be pessimistic or be be alert because of this and together they're kind of something's happening well it's no doubt our brothers and sisters from time immemorial have posed the same question and had dialogues around fires and looked at the stars went to sleep at night and dreamed you know i i'm not a pessimist i've been in war zones i've been in refugee camps i've been in fifth world countries um, but I'm hyper aware of the collective unconsciousness of our species by and large and the cruelty from that unconsciousness that so often goes both unreported and unnoticed even by good people, mm -hmm. you know, just for example in the last since february 1st many people around the world have noticed that the country of myanmar burma which is primarily my spiritual home i went there in 77 then ordained as a monk in 79 stayed and been going in and out up until this last year um, was invaded by the well the people of england actually uh, Winston Churchill's father was the governor general of England in the 1800s in India and decided to pick Burma as the crown ruby and give it to the queen. And so 123 years of so-called white imperialistic genocidal supremacy in England, two wars and eventually World War II, the allied soldiers, Britain and America came to confront the Japanese fascists. Burma was eventually liberated uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, the Nobel laureate's father, General Aung San, went to England, your country, and negotiated freedom with Clement Attlee, Prime Minister. And this is back in the early 40s. And here we are, 2021, and it's been a succession after he was assassinated and U Nu took over as Prime Minister. And eventually he was taken over by the General Ne Win. 
70 years of dictatorship and more recently, as of February 1st, a violent military coup that is an unbridled, Tim, epic evil upon the people, televised until the internet was cut down and documented by countless hours of videos. No one could, could believe it. I've studied it for 43 years. I could not believe what I was seeing, rape, torture, assassinations. And here they are being propped up and supported by the military regimes in Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, and the nuclear armed genocidal, for me, forgive the language, psychopath in China, Xi Jinping. Give them all the guns they need, give them all the technology they need, let them kill their people, no interference of another country's internal affairs. And it's like a serial killer's loose on your street, you call emergency and the neighbors, no, 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 no. That's Tim and his wife's problem. Welcome to Burma today. And so not so much to contrast what you just said about is there hope and how much goodness, but my homeland, my spiritual homeland is under assault in the United Nations Security Council. Now three or four meetings and bless UK, they came in with an emergency meeting, man. But China says, hey, 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 I'm not gonna sign off on this. We're not going to do anything. No boots on the ground. So, so, I got, I got, I, I, I wanted to say something in response to that, but I want to ask you something as well. Um, as you've taken us there, which is a, a good place to go, really interesting to me. Um, the first thing is, look, look, yeah, look, I'm not saying uh, for me. I mean, it's obviously it's different for you. You've lived there, but that itself is the the fact that there is a significant number of people who care about it is what all that I'm saying. Now, now that the, the things we, that people are caring about are, are, are awful things, and uh, the state that we're facing. You know, I'm not I'm not imagining I'm going to see a individual world. I mean, uh, all my kids, but I I do feel like that there is some there is an underlying positive evolutionary narrative to be told, which can get us through facing the things we have to face and that it's easier for us in than it is if you're in china i speak to my friend in china and you know it's mm -hmm. like you know, it's i'm i'm he's i'm here looking at the news thinking god everything's so negative and he's looking at his news going it's all just positive because it's all just just you know not all lies but or, so so the so so firstly that i'm not i'm not trying to paint some um, kind of like yeah look it's all going to be great it's like no we've got we these are all real things but i wanted to just ask you what you think see the, the question i have i guess is like what is in the the, the junta in, in burma for example could be any of them it's what, the what primacy of profit tim it's just it? simple privilege yeah, but even with that, it's like, what, what is that in, the, in a human psyche? I mean, is it as simple as it's, not it's seeing a, something which, you know, that, that once you see it, you couldn't possibly do that? Is it that? Is that what it is? Well, I think it's the study, you know, I've done a little bit of study uh, uh, of the mind of the psychopath. Yeah. And what's the word? Ananasgosia, 
something like that. It's, it's the inability to see what you don't know about yourself that's inability to see deficits about yourself. So you have a psychopath, a serial killer, who, like the Third Reich in, in the trials, they demanded as they went to the gallows, let us finish the ethical wisdom of what we were doing. No capacity to self-reflect on the wrongness of their ignorance. Right. In Burma, the junta is driven by quintessential sociopathic, psychopathic ignorance. They think, they really do think that the people that they're killing need to be killed because they're deviants. Okay, it's so, 1984. So, uh, okay, so there, there's a narrative there. Oh yeah, they, I've studied it. Which they have got, which makes them see themselves as virtuous. Totally. They yeah. see themselves as the protectors of the country, the sovereignty of the land, and of the people themselves. It's just mind-blowing how their collective psychology, um, and it's, it's no doubt. I mean, I, I'm no national psychiatrist or global psychiatrist, but I think those who are skilled in taking family systems to community levels, to national levels, to mm. global levels, we need to demand that of our leaders, that they must be highly educated when it comes to not just politics, global psychiatry. <laughs> because I love they, that. Like, like, a, like the same approach you would, but within a, within a nation or within a community. Absolutely, yeah. Because otherwise it seems that absolute power, as it was said, absolutely corrupts. And greed and the privilege and the primacy of profit and domination metaphors. It's like the more ambitious you become, the more you want, the more you want. It's like the crack cocaine of never having enough. No matter how rich you are, Mr. Bezos, Mr. Gates, it's never enough. And here we are on the precipice, you know, of our sixth great mass extinction. And like our young Greta Thunberg out of Sweden, screaming to the United Nations 193 member body, I want no more of your magical thinking and your endless promises of economic growth. What's driving the human species to kill itself in the name of spirituality, religion, democracy? I mean, a lot of great pundits, as you know, like David Suzuki in Vancouver, the great environmentalist. Years back, he said he bailed out on the environmental movement because he said that over the years, humans were like in a car driving headlong into a brick wall, arguing over where to sit. That's, that's the blindness of the species. And so this book I just wrote, Extinction X-Rated, is really my attempt. How can we stop the collective? Like you're a spiritual man, you really want one. But what, is, what does it mean? I just offer this up as a dialogue. What does it mean to put, I dare use it, teeth into oneness, compassion into oneness? Sure, mo mo Modernize Gandhi, modernize Buddhism modernized mindfulness it's like i refuse to deal with your bullshit man i refuse to participate in your genocide so so that's a really great question i wanted to come back to the book i've got your cover of it off my other screen because i liked it and I, I wanted to talk to you about good and evil but um uh, so hold that for a second because you've just so so the thing which strikes me with that and i think about it a lot um is that 
it feels like we, we the, the, the problem at the moment with how we're approaching uh, politics is we're thinking in the wrong categories. So, or the categories that interest me, I think reveal something which is generally not being said. So it feels to me that, that, that with this, what I call this unividuation, with this, with, with where, where, the, where there are people who've shifted in, or are shifting, um, what arises with that? The word that comes to mind for me is this kind of universal benevolence that just arises and I see it in people, often the most surprising people. So that even when you're shouting and yelling at somebody on the TV or whatever, still underneath, you wish them well. There's the fundamental wishing well that arises from this recognition. And so it feels like well, the, the, we're, we're stuck in categories of division around race and sexuality and class and nationhood and that all of which reveal interesting things to a degree. But the real, the, the, the one that's, that interests me is like getting, if, if, we could, if we could start looking at, ah, that's somebody who's got the universal benevolence or is getting it, but that person hasn't. So look, that's dangerous. But this person may think radically differently to me, may think the solution is the opposite of what I think the solution is, but we're on the same team because they're, they're tr we're trying to get to the same place. We've just got completely different perspectives. So at the moment, it feels like we divide our politics up between people according to the program, not the intention. Whereas it feels it'd be more interesting to build a team with the intention, but different programs. Because then in that, the dialogue then that could be had might enable something un unexpected to arise. You got to run for politics, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of dialogue we need to have that's broadcast internationally because, you know, you, I, I'm thinking, you know, to be very transparent as I'm listening quite intimately to you, and it's very beautiful and very uh, resonate in so many ways. There's a part of me that's um, a very large part of me feels that we are not the minority, we are so rare to have these thoughts, number one. And number two, even among good people I've seen, in circumstances of high pressure, high conflict, without the normal comforts that we normally would have, we've lost our home, we're now displaced person, a refugee. Uh, we don't have the medicines when we need it. We can't use our toothbrush, we don't have one. Uh, we're a political prisoner, I've studied them. I just did a four series uh, of books called Burma's Voices of Freedom with my colleague, uh, Fergus Harlow, studying the minds and lives of 200 former political prisoners. How do you make it through that? Where's your dharma? Where's your spirituality? And back to your point, so many of them survived him and thrived on having empathy for their torturer. Wow. It wasn't a Stockholm syndrome. Wow. Empathy and Stockholm are very different states of mind, but it, they were quick to point out often that I refuse to sacrifice my dignity for an attachment to a belief system of separateness. Hmm. I could be the torture. I was the torture. In a Buddhist culture, they believe in, you know, multiplicity of lives. Everyone has been everything. And so it gives them that deeper existential integrity, that existential dignity 
that rises up in a degree of understanding that I am not only not separate from you, I could be you. And without my freedom, you would never be free. Like Mandela, we're all bound together in this Ubuntu. I cannot be who I am without yeah. you. Yeah. That's, without that state of mind, the Ubuntification of the soul, so to speak. Mm. And I know I'm sounding rather passionate because I'm, uh, but I'm on the way on the outside. But that's been the saving emotion that's given me hope in the deepest times of darkness. And I've, I'm not that courageous. I've only been up next to courageous people. I'm very aware to temper that because I've been in war zones. I've been with political prisoners. I've been under threat. I've been a non-combatant. But they're the ones who have lived up to 20 years in solitary confinement. And they're the ones who come out to tell the story of what does the spiritual life look like in that level of horror. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why. That's why the you know you mentioned Mandela and, and in, in my lifetime that to see that when I went to South Africa, mm. and saw what he what he had done and what he was trying to do. It was that, and what I loved about it, it's like. It feels like look, the universal benevolence is universal, and then but the, it come the, but the ethic I feel like is universal benevolence and individual responsibility. Mm -hmm. and nice. So so you, it's expressed wherever you are, mm -hmm. in your own unique relationships. And so he was able, and and I and, and I, well the three I think a lot of people would agree the three great political leaders Mohandas Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela in in the recent period. And they all had the quality of actually representing their people from a universal benevolence. So it was, they were able to straddle that ability to go, I am representing this because this is what I, this is my responsibility, but I'm doing it in such a way. And there's something about that kind of, I mean, I was thinking about Gandhi's thing about um, with the British and going, no, they'll just leave. And they'll leave as friends and it's like wow i mean what a to to be able to say that and to be right just enormous and and that kind of so it feels and it feels very much not, not not like in burma or somewhere where it's we've got violence and it's but within our own culture where we're not doing that mostly it feels like, well, the only thing we can do is we need to try. The, the, the problem now becomes to transform the, en the enemy into a friend. And so whatever mm. we do, we have to do that because that's the only thing that's going to work. So you've, you've got the, the radical spiritual gene. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you've got the unfortunate desire to awaken <laughs> you're you're the type like me who ends up on the cross crucified and they're selling our clothes and our podcast to the highest bidder <laughs> you know i i've studied the mind of greatness I, i'm not in the category i'm more vulnerable than that but like with my time with the Aung San Suu Kyi, the Nobel Laureate in Burma, we did a book together back in 95 and 96. Oh, really? Oh, that's a book of conversations, actually. Yeah. Okay. Called The Voice of Hope. And one of the first questions I asked her after she was released from six years of detention was you've called your, in brief, you've called your struggle for freedom a revolution of the spirit. And what do you mean by that? Yeah. And she replied, 
although I've often said this story, can take an hour, I'll do it only in two minutes, is that she said, you were out on the street, there were a thousand people gathered, every one of them risked everything to be there, to crime against the state, to gather in groups of five or more. They could be detained, tortured, have their homes taken, they often do. It takes courage to do that. You ask me the essence of a spiritual revolution, it's courage. Next point, those people, it was not easy for them to negotiate their fear to be yeah. there, Yeah. okay? Yeah. We have a term in our country, she called it by the Burmese word, and our shared teacher, Seda Upandita, the deceased teacher, he introduced her to this concept, he was her advisor, the ability of the human heart to quiver in the face of fear, not that you need to overcome it, but your courage is quivering to acquire the stamina to come out of the complacency of cowering. Okay, so she, it was a, a beautiful sensitivity, Tim, because we often think of either or fearlessness and fear, you know? Yeah. It's not Whereas the closest I get to gunfire and struggle, the more I quiver. Yeah. And I've seen that as a virtue. Beautiful. And then the last point she made was, so you asked me the essence of uh, our country's uh, spiritual revolution. And it's not just courage, Alan, but it's the courage to care for things larger than your own self-interest. Okay? That's exactly coming back to what you're bringing up. Yeah, that's it. And she said, when enough people in our country do that, our revolution of the spirit will be successful. And she concluded, the essence of that courage to care for things larger than your own self-interest is in the, the courage to see the truth of a circumstance, the courage, she said, Alan, to feel the truth of what you see, quivering there, and also having the courage to act on what you feel for the betterment of self and other. The courage to see, to feel, and to act. And if enough people do that, we will have a successful democracy. And she concluded, Tim, by saying, and we encourage the people to do this one person at a time, starting with yourself. And I find that to be a very interesting kind of template, if you will, for what we're talking about, of what does it mean to be an activist, along with a spiritual savant, yeah. how to put your dharma into practice. Yeah. And that's Burma, and that's why I think she was such a great leader, and terribly vilifying for, you know, in the last several years, for reasons both of propaganda and misinformation. So, so wrongly? Wrongly, wrongly, categorically wrongly. Yeah, yeah. I've spent eight and a half years in and out of the country the last eight and a half years, 50 trips uh, in my life, maybe 20 the last eight and a half years, studying all of her friends, interviewed them all. And I know her very well. And I've studied the information, the books. I've often said the four books we just finished, 2000 pages, came out in October. The United Nations Security Council, the criminal court in The Hague that put her in the you know, the, the military junta rightly there 
they need to study these books to see what the truth of the circumstances is. It's so complex. Right. But in a nutshell, she was wrongly vilified, thrown under the bus, and they didn't understand this one point. Her teacher, her advisor, as I mentioned, the late venerable Seda Upandita, one of the great mindfulness meditation teachers of a modern era. He introduced the concept to her and to the people of the country, the leaders, primarily the democracy movement, the Dharma of reconciliation. It's exactly what you're bringing up. Yeah. It's not about just empathizing with the torturer or the oppressor. I want to win your friendship in return. Reconciliation. We may not be friends, okay, but we are not going to vilify you. We're not going to shame you. We're not going to uh, torture you. We're not going to persecute you. We're not going to demonize you. That was Aung San Suu Kyi, and she was crucified for that. And it turns out that the very people that she was unwilling to vilify, bless her heart, she did a Gandhi, at the lowest ebb of her international recognition, imagine if Mr. Mandela had gone to the very bottom of popularity, guess what? South Africa would still be radically apartheid. And these guys in Burma are masters of sci-fi war. And what did they do? Just after they won the election at her lowest ebb, the elections were a, a diabolical means to see who were the most popular candidates who were their followers? They had them all tracked on digital uh, reconnaissance. They're all either dead, imprisoned, including her right now. And the international community has done nothing. You hear nothing out of Bono's mouth. You hear nothing out of uh, Geldof's mouth. Who, these were major supporters of Aung San Suu Kyi. You hear nothing from the Dalai Lama, nothing from Desmond Tutu. And, and this is because of the way that she's been Vilified, yeah. Vilified because of the... the and they're the, unwilling to investigate the deeper truth. And it's just so happened right now. You never hear Da Aung San Suu Kyi's name in relationship to the, the Dr. Sasa, the escaped leader of the movement now at the United Nations, is telling the world now for a month and a half, please intervene to stop a genocide. No one is doing anything. What, what would you like to see happen now? You know the situation. What do you think could, could happen? In 2005, the United Nations passed uh, a security clause called the R2P clause, right to protect. That means when a sovereign nation is undergoing crimes against humanity, which they are, everyone has agreed, and or ethnic cleansing and or genocide that the United Nations, a mandate that they must intervene creatively, mind you. They don't have to go bomb them with a nuke and drone them to death, but just the mere presence of putting peacekeepers on the city streets of Mandalay and Rangoon and Malmien, that junta in Burma, that demonic terrorist group known as Masak, Ming Online, the general, the former general, and the state administration council, Ma Sak is like the Khmer Rouge of Burma today. Ooh. They would be confronted, they would be stunned. Xi Jinping in China, Putin in Russia would go, uh, oh, what, what, the United Nations 
is acting in a way that they should, but they don't. Right. So that's what I would suggest. And secondly, I would really encourage in your country and in my country, take a moral high ground. Put a battleship or a cruise ship or a aircraft carrier off the Bay of Bengal and uh, they put up three fingers to show solidarity with the civil disobedience movement. And those military men in Napido, the capital of Burma, they would be, uh, hello, what do you want? I'm sorry. So are you saying, this is, this is fascinating, obviously, because I, I, you know, I know what I read and what I see on the news. So, um, so are you saying that the situation that she was vilified what, was that actually part of the program that was going to lead to the coup? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is completely psychologically orchestrated over the last so, few so years. So they, they've put her in a position where she's seen in a certain way, which has enabled them to do, to put they, the coup, which they couldn't have done they, otherwise. You, you got it. That's right. Exactly. If she was right. at international stardom, like Mandela level. And, and she was, wasn't she? She was, I mean, yeah. She Look really at how was. skillful. Look at how skillful. The 99.9% of the people in the world have never met her. Yeah, yeah. Have never been to Burma. They've yeah. only believed the propagandists in the New York Times, the London Post, CNN, BBC. Yeah. I spent, I speak the language to a large extent. I know all the leaders. I know her teacher. I'm impartial investigative journalist. I've got the facts in four books called Burma's Voices of Freedom. And it's unbelievable gaslighting, psychological warfare. And it's unfortunate because they played, they know her strategy, which was nonviolence. Will trap her in her own game, and of course, the persecuted Rohingyas in the Rakhine state, the Muslims. It was tragedy, but no one really reported that the ARSA, which is the militant terrorist Islamic group out of the Rakhine state, bordering Bangladesh, which intel shows that it's been funded by Bin Laden's people in Karachi that the day before the secretary general, uh, the former secretary general who was commissioned to do a report on how to develop peace and development in the area. Well, the day before or the day after, I'm not sure exactly the day, ARSA, A-R-S-A, the terrorist group attacked 30 simultaneous military and police uh, posts in Rakhine State. That's a major terrorist attack. That's 9-11. Yeah. And Burma's military, as they're doing to their own people, look what they do to others. Okay, so it's true. Da Aung San Suu Kyi, though, went to The Hague not to defend the military, but simply to question that the label of genocide was inaccurate. No one gets that. And that's a radical thing for her to do because she's into reconciliation. If you vilify these guys in any way, look what they did to her and the people when they supported reconciliation. So it's so dicey. Anyway, my point is, is that the Dharma of reconciliation introduced to her by her teacher and my teacher, Seda Upandita, it's a spiritual dimension that almost no one understands. Yeah, it comes back to. I think it's big. Sorry, go on, finish. It, uh, last thing, it comes yeah, back no, to please. Desmond Tutu's work, 
in his uh, No Future Without Forgiveness book, Oof. where he was sitting, I think for three and a half, nearly four years as the chairperson, was it? Yeah. At the Truth Council in South yeah. Africa, where voluntarily former apartheid military civilian people talked openly and they were graded on their sincerity. If they were sincere, they weren't persecuted. That's pretty rad. Isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, for that to happen, that's, and, and the reason it's, you know, these things, it's because it's so new. Yeah, it's, you got it. That's the word. That's it. It's yeah. so new. Yeah. That's it right there. That's yeah. it. It's so new. The issue, not of empathy alone, but can we talk as enemies? Yeah. <laughs> Put down the gun. Africa, I got introduced to something which is actually in this country that it's called the Forgiveness Project. Oh, beautiful. And um, one of the things they do is they send, they get people to give presentations in pairs. So mm. the, the, the mother of someone who was killed in a, an ANC explosion, her daughter was killed mm. in a church mm. and the guy who, who planted the bomb. Mm. Wow, wow. Are there together. Wow, wow, wow. Talking. Um, there was, in, in England, there was a, 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 a woman who had, um, I think her father had been killed um, by an IRA bomb and the person who'd planted the bomb. And there was, some, and there was something about, as I remember it, with, with, she came to one of my retreats, actually. And the story, as I remember, it's a long time ago now, but really so poignant because she said that when she was up they were asked to talk somewhere and they misunderstood i think what they were what they were being asked to do but they did it anyway what they thought mm. they were being asked to do which was not to tell their stories but to tell each other's story wow and so wow. she would say you know i was born in a catholic working class neighborhood my brother was a member of the IRA by the time he was 14. I had a gun by the time I was 11. We saw this, we saw this, we saw this. I joined the provisionals, we did this, you know, and then I planted a bomb. And he said, I grew up in a middle-class Protestant area. Um, I went to a grammar school. It was you know, da, 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 and I came home one day and my dad was dead. And there was wow. something about that. And, and, and I get that when I, when I watch things like, watching, say, in, in, in the situation with uh, Israel and the, the Palestinians, for example. And it just feels, God, you've heard, you've been telling each other your point of view for so long, you must know the other one's point of view by now. Why don't you tell each other's stories and see if that gets anywhere? <laughs> what would happen if you just went, this is, and see how well you could tell it. And because the other person would then hear that and go, oh, you, you, you're hearing my story. And that comes from that same feeling that Desmond Tutu, just what a, what a wonderful man to-, to Yeah, that's, that's, what an epic, that's an epic, an epic experience that you're sharing. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. May the world resonate in that simple archetypal truth, hearing each other's story and then being the embodiment of the other's story and reflecting it back with the mutuality of what can we learn from each other about how we can change this narrative so it doesn't repeat, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was what Aung San Suu Kyi and the people of Burma were doing with the military terrorist group. Right. 
And so few people in the world, unless you are an esoteric Christian, or perhaps even a remarkably enlightened Muslim Buddhist, I don't know, the rare psychedelic psychonaut, maybe there's 10 people on the planet who could understand that. And they were doing it against all odds, Tim. And that was what was so breathtaking. I did a book with my teacher about this called The, the uh, Wisdom for the World, uh, The Dharma of Reconciliation and Mindful Advice for My People. Wow. It's a book of conversation that I did four years ago with him that's in part, part of the four volumes set, Burma's Voices of Freedom, but that's the operating template, if you will, for Da Aung San Suu Kyi and about a couple of thousand other civilian leaders in the country where their mandate was absolute nonviolence to integrate the army into a dignified institution that's noble, that supports the people, doesn't persecute them. Her father started the army. So she had a deep vested interest, but you know, like a lot of great people in the world, Look at Giorgio Bruno, the 15th century philosopher from Italy, who discovered through his telescope infinity, as it said. And he reports it back to the world and the church, the four walls of dogma crash in on him and he jails him. You can't defy the church's idea of the universe. No, no, the earth doesn't revolve around, you know, it's not the center of the universe. And they tried to make him recant according to what I've read for seven years until they eventually burned him alive at the stake upside down, having cut his tongue out to show the world an example. I dare you think out of the box. What you're sharing with me and what I'm sharing with you in a humble way is, is breaking the box of conformity and murder and planetary suicide or annihilation. And if it's so urgent today, I feel, and what Dong Sun Tzu Chi was a human experiment with all these people was a radically important spiritual political experience today. Just like Desmond Tutu's Truth Council, she did it on a national level. Can we forgive and move forward without putting you in jail? And again, coming back to nothing to vilify the Islamic world, but Islam was up to no good in Burma. The, the terrorists out of Pakistan, bin Laden was up to no good. And they saw this and they had their own game. Remember, Burma is an oil rich, gas rich land, strategic location, people want it. The Saudi Arabia of Asia. And so Islam and China, they're all vying for it. And they instigated a crisis moment it turned out what happened. Aung San Suu Kyi was thrown under the bus. They've got the junta in the world court for crimes against humanity. And a bin Laden funded terrorist ex excursion into Burma goes unnoticed. That's the underlying reality. Yes, there's flaws in all of it. Yes, Do Aung San Suu Kyi has personal issues. Who doesn't, right? She's the first to talk about them. I spent months with the woman. She's transparent about her flaws. She doesn't suffer fools easily. I see her. She has a short temper. But smart people do. Maybe you do. I do. But 
anyway, one of the great, great leaders of the world is now jailed and will likely spend the rest of her life in prison and pretty much a forgotten icon. Well, I very, very much hope that isn't true, Alan. And I very much hope that we get the chance to connect again at some point and celebrate the fact that Burma's looking better and that that's not her fate. And let me thank you. And I would just like to encourage anyone who might watch this, see this, feel this sharing between you and I, turn back the psychological narrative, the, the literary news cycle narrative of what I'm sharing. Investigate it for yourself if it's incredulous to you. Read our books, they're available. Get them digitally, very inexpensive. Burma's voice, you will know the truth of what I'm sharing in vivid pixelation by the people there, by deep investigation. Tell your leaders, tell your presidents and prime ministers, tell your ambassadors that there's a different narrative. Tell Geldof, tell Bono, tell all the elite celebrities, you got it wrong. It's okay to apologize. Jump back on the bandwagon of reconciliation and support Da Aung San Suu Kyi and get her out of isolation and detention along with the 3,500 other people right now suffering torture in the prisons in Burma virtually unnoticed, act like it was in South Africa, okay? We must act, and until people get that, we got it wrong, it's a different era. The propaganda machine is really, really intact. So I just wanna add that. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, uh, I can, I, I hear, well, it was, it, was, it was a moment ago when you, when you said, you know, I, I feel this is urgent. And, Obviously, the whole situation is urgent, but when you're dealing with somewhere where you're, you have the sort of connection you have that's, that's in the situation it's in, then it's like the, the it's family urgency. Yeah, yeah. That's can, it's I family. Can really, I can really feel that. I can it's feel it's that. a 911 call. They put it out to the world. They have no weapons. They're doing the nonviolent dance. Yeah. And uh, the world's asleep at the wheel right now, frankly. Yeah, yeah. And COVID and all of that's taking everyone's attention and... Yeah. You know, it's really crazy, but you know, Burma was in lockdown with COVID. And look at India today with the COVID cases that are coming down. It's apocalyptic. Yeah. Yeah. But in Burma, they've been shoulder to shoulder for two months protesting in the most cramped quarters. Yeah. No masks and yeah. not a let's word hope. of COVID. Let's hope that that doesn't. You, 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 um, you, you, uh, you use the name Burma. I use the word Burma because I'm an old school. Burma's Burma. Okay. Myanmar was Myanmar was the name that the dictatorship changed it to. Oh, okay, that's what's root. I didn't uh, know that. Twenty years or so ago, it's like Pol Pot changing Cambodia to Kampuchea. It was okay. a way to remove it from public notice. Right. Now it's sort of institutionalized as acceptable, but you know. They're interchangeable, Burma, Myanmar, just so that people are aware, because the new generation really doesn't understand the word Burma and Myanmar to be synonymous. Yeah, yeah. So. Alan, thank you. I've really enjoyed meeting you so much. It's been- Good a, to talk with yeah. you, my friend. Nice to meet you, soul brother. Yeah, yeah, really. Definitely. And, um, I had that feeling when I, I saw your movie and um, 
I hope people, some people will check out both the books and the movie. Yep, spiritually incorrect. It's on filmsforaction.org. And yeah, I, yeah. I just got a copy the other day of my book, if I could hold it up. I'm so proud yeah, of this of thing. Yeah, and yeah. I will say this, it's not for the lighthearted. Yeah. And it's a literary mandala. It's all in your own mind. But I, I just laid it out in what I felt to be a cry, a scream, a song to end violence. It's a book on anti-porn, but it's rad. It's like clockwork orange. On what does acid. that mean? What does that mean? Anti-porn? What do you mean? Well, it's it's like. And you mean literally or or. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, literally. I think politics are pornography for me. War is pornography. Oh, OK, so it's violence is. OK, OK. And I am trying to use the most graphic, uncensored language and imagery. Remember, it's art. I'm not using a gun or a scalpel on you. I'm not torturing. But it's like, oh my God, he's saying that? Well, guess what? There's genocide out there. There's rape out there. There's planet climate collapse. It's like, why can't I use every word in the world to confront the normalcy of pornography called politics? So that's <laughs> his book. Anyway, that's me. Tim, good to meet you, my friend. <laughs> that's so beautifully put. Fantastic. I love that. I really do. Okay. Thank you for the invitation and rock on and hope to see you in real time someplace in that this world. That would be great. I would, I would adore that. Let's hope that. That would adore let's, that too. Let's, let's, let's hope let it happen. Let's let make it happen be. somewhere. Yeah. All right. God bless you. Nice to meet you. Take Much care, my love. friend. Bye-bye.